What is up? What is up? What is up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show, Wednesday, August 25th. I'm your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the Mitch Davis Show.com, podcast host of the Mitch Davis Show. We are less than three days away from the kickoff of the 2021 college football season. Folks, it is here. It's week zero. Got some big games this weekend, including Nebraska and Illinois and a monumental season opener for the new head coach at Illinois, Brett Bielema, and also for Scott Frost and his Nebraska Cornhuskers as well. I'm your host, Mitch Davis. Be sure you follow me on Twitter at MitchDavis underscore eight. Instagram at the Mitch Davis Show, and also you can find the podcast wherever you like to listen to your podcast by simply typing in the Mitch Davis Show. On today's podcast, I'm going to be joined by a media bluegrass Kentucky legend, Dave Buzz Baker, WKYT sportscaster, senior marketing consultant for the NCAA. Play-by-play man for UK Sports Network and the SEC Network. He is a legend, and I am so excited to welcome him to the Mitch Davis Show. We talk all things Kentucky basketball and football, reminisce a little bit, and go down memory lane and talk about Jefferson Pilot Sports as well. It was a lot of fun, and I cannot wait to share this interview with each and every one of you. But before we get into the interview, I want to remind you to check out the website, themitchdavisshow.com. Find the podcast wherever you like to listen to your podcast. And also, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram by simply typing in MitchDavis underscore eight on Twitter and on Instagram by typing in the Mitch Davis Show. At this time, I would like to welcome Buzz Baker to the Mitch Davis Show podcast as we talk about all things Kentucky athletes. Lex. I am joined now by Dave Buzz Baker, WKYT sportscaster, senior marketing consultant for the NCAA, play-by-play man for UK Sports Network and the SEC Network, and also famously on the JP Sports Network as well. If you're old enough to remember those JP Jefferson's pilot games, you can remember Buzz Baker's boys calling those football games and basketball games across the Southeast. Buzz, how are you doing today? Everything's great, man. It's great to be on with you. How about you? Oh, it's uh, it's an honor to chat with you. How's everything going on in the Bluegrass State? i got to ask you about Mark Stoops and what he's doing with this football program. What are you hearing about this upcoming season? Well, I, I think there are always a lot of questions. I mean, what, what, he's, uh, what he's done is I don't think there's uh, – it can kind of be overstated. But before you get to what Mark Stoops has done, I think you got to go back and talk about, you know, what, what Mitch Barnhart has done. Because in this, uh, in this society of what have you done for me lately and everything, you know, there would have probably been a lot of people that might have cut the cord on Mark Stoops before he really got it turned around. Uh, but Mitch showed some patience. He's really been kind of uh, applauded for that uh, over the years, um, and I think it's I think it's borne itself out. I think uh, I, I think what Mark has done is decided that uh, he needed a play a certain style, and he's done that. He had a lot of success with that, and then he realized that he needed to evolve that style a little bit, and that's why he's 
made the change and uh, Eddie Graham was out as offensive coordinator, which was a difficult decision for him because they're very close personally. Brought in Liam Cohen for the Rams to kind of open things up. But at the end of the day, all that stuff being said, it's still the SEC. It's going to get tougher now in a few years with, with the two new teams that are that are coming in. And I think, you know, all the success that Mark has had, probably the last several years, the story has been pretty similar. That, you know, it's probably three, four, five, maybe as many as small double-digit plays that have made the difference between seven and four and four and seven. And based on schedule and everything, I, I, I think that's probably the way it'll go again this year. When you look at this program, and obviously they had success under Rich Brooks, and I have to ask you about that relationship between head coach Rich Brooks, who did phenomenal things in the late 2000, early 2010 era into Mark Stoops' era. How does Mark Stoops build off of what Rich Brooks laid for the foundation and as we enter the future of Wildcat football? Well, I, th- I, I think the whole thing is um, that first and foremost at Kentucky, you can't afford to make the big recruiting mistake. I mean, you've only got so many deals that you can do, and you've just got a really thin margin for error. So I think Rick Rich got some really good players. I don't think he got as many as as Mark had. But, but I think what Stoops and his guys have done is that they have – Number one, done a great job of identifying talent early. And I think much of that credit goes to Vince Merrill. And uh, he's come in as the recruiting coordinator, done a fabulous job. So I think they've done a great job with identifying talent, establishing a relationship with that talent. I think they've had some guys like Josh Allen and some people like that who maybe didn't have a D1 offer and then – they got on the national map maybe when they were juniors and seniors, and they kept recruiting him and got them to honor their commitment to Kentucky. And then speaking of Josh Allen, who was like a no-star, you know, they've done a great job of, of developing talent once it's gotten there as well. So I, I think he's done a really good job in, in every facet of that. And football recruiting is such a difficult thing. And the thing I tell people the most consistently is that now, and the thing that Mark started doing, was Kentucky is not competing for Central Michigan and Miami of Ohio for players, which is no knock on their programs. But they're going up and they're competing with the very best in college football. They're not getting all of them, but they're certainly getting their share. Now, you mentioned Mitch Barnhart and the, and the job he's done with this athletics department. I've got to ask you, the volleyball team, Craig Skitter won his first national championship a couple months ago. It was very exciting. Talk about the impact not only Mitch Barnard has on basketball and football, what everybody says, but how does the rest of those programs feed off of a national championship and let's say volleyball or when women's basketball makes the Elite Eight and wins the SEC? Well, uh, when, when Mitch took over his athletics career, it was a troubled time in the athletics department. That's why he was hired. Wake of the whole Hal Mummy deal and that probation and everything. And uh, he and I talked very early on. And there were people that were coaches there in some of the Olympic sports and others that were not full time. 
like they didn't have benefits. They couldn't keep coaches. You know, their coaches at the D one level and they've got a low salary and they don't have benefits. So Mitch thought in order to lift the whole program, you know, you needed to do that for every sport. So actually when he came in, Craig Skinner was the very first hire uh, that he made. And Craig and Megan, his wife, are just incredible people. I'm, I'm blessed to be friends with them. But they were both assistant coaches at Nebraska. Craig was the assistant volleyball coach in that great program, and Megan was the assistant soccer coach. And is really good at what she does. When she came here and Craig started coaching, she coached my kids at the club level, and, and, and she's done some broadcasting with us on the SEC Network Plus. And so they made a commitment that they were going to support each other. But then, you know, Mitch came in and, you know, he, he did things like that. He, he hired other really great coaches. He hired Matthew Mitchell, who had that great run uh, in, in basketball. Uh, Rachel Lawson has done a fabulous job uh, in, in softball. The uh, gymnastics program uh, was a top 10 uh, this year. And, and, and that's kind of a thing. Baseball is not where he wants it to be right now. But, I, I, I mean, he came in and supported John Cohen. The other impact that Mitch has had uh, is, is in kind of the world of athletics. You know, if you look at the influence and, and this decision for Texas and Texas, uh, for Texas and Oklahoma to come to the league. So you've got Mitch, who's the senior athletics director now, who just finished his term as head of uh, the NCAA Basketball Selection Committee. He now rotates on uh, to the college uh, football playoff committee, only one of a handful of ADs to do that. But guys that, that he has uh, uh, produced, uh, you know, in terms of athletic directors, uh, you know, just in the SEC. Now, there are others, but, you, you know, you look at just in the SEC, and Greg Byrne is the AD down in Alabama. Scott Strickland is the AD at Florida. Uh, you've got John Cohen, who is his baseball coach uh, at Kentucky, who's now the AD uh, at, uh, at uh, Mississippi State. You've got the AD at Minnesota, Mark. I'm, I'm blank on his last name uh, right now. Uh, he's got the uh, Kevin Saul, the AD at Murray State. And, and the people that he's produced, Dwayne Peavy, who just went uh, to DePaul, who was Calipari's. Uh, right hand. So, uh, you know, his influence and what he's done, I think it's been a super plan. I, I think he's gone about it uh, step by step and has just really done an outstanding job with it. Before we talk about all the action on the hardwood with John Calipari and his Wildcats, I've got to ask you about this Texas and Oklahoma transition to the SEC. Not only how does it impact Kentucky, but how do you see the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, shaping out and the impact of it within five years or so? Well, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be uh, the, the first of, of, of the super conferences, obviously. Mark Coyle was the Minnesota AD who came state a second ago. But, you know, everybody knew this was coming. You know, and, and these guys are really smart in terms of what they do. I did a lot of work with Commissioner Sankey when he first came into the league uh, from, uh, from the Southland Conference. And if you remember, that's when there were several programs that were on probation. Mike Slive made a speech that he wanted to get to the point where there were no SEC schools on probation. But obviously, it's going to change things. How it changes things, I'm not really sure. Because I think this year, 
this school year is going to be really telling in terms of what happens in the post-COVID era. You talked about a couple of siblings that you've got at UK. Um, my, my twins last year uh, did not have a single uh, in-person class, and this will be their senior year. Uh, my oldest, when she graduated, the only thing she did in person was work in the hospital. So everybody says they're going to be back to full capacity now, but I can just tell you that just in Kentucky, the positivity rate is up over 11%. I think we had 2,100 cases today, which is the most since January. My question is, are people going to come back to the live venues like they have in the past? And I don't know that answer because, you know, habits are really difficult to form. They're really easy to break. And a lot of people realized that they could still be fans last year, even though it was a bad year. Let's talk about basketball without actually being at the arena. So everybody went out and fixed up their, uh, their, their, their family viewing room, their, their basketball cave, whatever you want to call it, you know, their wildcat room. And so they got new TVs and they got more comfortable chairs and they're not paying, uh, you know, uh, uh, seat licenses and things like that. Donations, uh, to the school's fund, whatever you want to call it. I saw the other day, speaking of Alabama, not too long after the word went out for renewal of season tickets, they come out and they've got single game tickets to football on sale, which is really kind of unheard of. And, 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 and my two daughters, my twins will be seniors this year. They're huge fans, but they go to the stadium and they tailgate and they and their friends really have no interest in going in the stadium. There are people that have these big TVs out in the parking lot, and they will be there hours before the game and be there hours after the game and are still cheering like crazy, but they have no interest in participating in the in-stadium experience. So I think it's going to be real interesting to see what happens. when, If you remember the last expansion, when A&M and Missouri came into the league, everybody kind of scratched their head about Missouri a little bit, and it was all about the SEC network and getting TV eyeballs. And I think that's still part of it. And, you know, the SEC network is going to pay X, and, and that can't be discounted. But then just a couple of weeks ago, there was an article in Variety where ESPN has come out and said they understand what a lot of us understand. I've, I've been in broadcast television all my life. Uh, the Jefferson Pilot games that you talked about, they were on syndicated on broadcast stations like WKYT. But now what ESPN is interested in doing is, is, is they see the cable numbers that are falling off. So they're looking at putting their premium products on like one of two places, and that is broadcast television or on stream. And so what happens with the cable subscribers and the return to the schools? You know, I think everybody is trying to, kind of like in recruiting teams, they're trying to get their bench as deep as possible for whatever lies ahead. But I think if anybody tells you they know with any certainty what lies ahead, I, I don't know that they do. Jumping over to the hardwood right now, John Calipari arguably has one of, had one of the best off-seasons in college basketball history. He's gone out, got a lot of transfers, got a lot of great recruits, got guys coming back. What are you hearing in these early onset uh, battles that's going on there at the, at the craft center? Well, not a lot about that yet because they're now during a time when they've been out. And obviously because of COVID and things like that, we haven't had the activity uh, that we normally have. You know, people have been impressed 
and talk about how hard this team plays, how mature they are. Um, there are two things now, and, and, and listen, John, you know, kind of refocused himself. You hear that? You hear that phrase? Kind of re- hit the reset button, and I think that's what happened. And you know, it, it's interesting. You see all these blue blood college basketball programs last year that really had very uncharacteristic seasons. What was it? One point in time, maybe back in February, and I'm close on this. I'm not 100% sure. But there was a stat that none of, like, the top 15 winningest programs in college basketball were in the top 25. However, you turn around you look at football, and the GOAT, Nick Saban, had arguably his best year ever, which ain't easy to do. And it's like in the middle of COVID. He didn't miss a beat. So I, I think Cal reset, and he had a great recruiting year. He did at the end, though. There are some real questions at the end because he really pushed all his chips into the middle of the table on but is the Durden kid uh, yeah. that Penny got. Yeah, the right? Duran kid, Jalen Duran. Jalen Duran. I'm sorry. So you know, he pushed all the chips in like that. My 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 future son-in-law is a. He's an up-and-coming SEC referee. I mean, he's college basketball. I think he's got a chance to be in the league one day. And so he was calling down there to Pete's Jam. I kept seeing pictures and video of him calling a game uh, between this young man and, and, and another top recruit, and it just lined up with coaches. Larry Brown, Cal, Will Witt, I mean, a whole bunch. So, you know, they pushed all their chips in the middle of the table on that and really did not go that hard at getting Kofi Coburn from Illinois, who's probably going to be the preseason college player of the year this year. And everybody thought they had a great shot at getting him because Orlando Antigua, who recruited him, and he said Antigua was the reason he went to Illinois, of course, is now on Cal staff with Jim Cole. So it, it, despite that, have to see how it plays out. He had an outstanding recruiting year, and I think the thing he needed to do was you, you before if he missed on somebody, he was able to go to next available, and he didn't really get hurt by it. But what happened the last couple of years, and especially last year, they missed out on some guys. Then they had some guys reclassify, and not only did they not get the guy that they wanted, but then they ended up being really, really young. I, I mean. You know, they just had some guys out there playing last year uh, that should have still been in high school. And so they've, they've, they've got transfers in this year. Uh, they've gone out and got the guys who were supposed to graduate high school uh, this year when they were supposed to. So I think they've got more physicality. And, and more than anything else, I think they've got more maturity, which is going to be a real key. Obviously, everybody talks about the Kentucky effect. We saw three gold medalists there at the Olympics in Tokyo uh, just last week that came from this from from this from the program. Talk right, about right. the Kentucky effect, and what is the Kentucky effect for those who are unfamiliar with the Big Blue Nation? Well, I, I mean, Cal talked about giving these guys uh, the opportunity to change the course of their lives for themselves and for their families. And he's really been able to do that with a number of people. Now, now the one thing that some of the doubting Thomases will say is, yeah, he did that, but these guys have played their best basketball after they left Kentucky. Case in point, Bam Adebayo. Everybody thought when Bam left, 
you know, at least in the eyes of fans, are like, well, he could benefit from another year. Well, the problem is the NBA's rules are designed for guys to come to the league as soon as possible because you've got to get that first three years in the book before you can get your first max contract, right? So, bam, all of a sudden starts playing lights out during COVID. Gets $160 million, right? I mean, what was it a couple of weeks ago? Shea Gilgis only played, what, 35 games last year for Oklahoma City yeah. and got $170 million. Even before he started playing lights out the way he has, Devin Booker got that first contract extension for, what, something around 80? I mean, what, what's his next contract going to look like? So, I, I mean, Cal and those guys, they, they make no bones about the fact that they literally carry this big hardback notebook with them that has got copies of the contracts of all these guys. And, you know, here's what guys who have come and families that have put their trust in us, here's what we've been able to do for them, and we can do that for you. Now, two more questions I have for you before I let you go. I've got to ask you this. This is a personal question. What does what does Kentucky mean to you? Now, obviously, you and I have been around the Big Blue Nation for all of our lives. We know the names Kay Wood Letford, Bill Kitely, Joe B. Hall, Adolph Rupp. And Mr. Buzz Baker, I will say your name is right there amongst oh, those legends. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> What does the Big Blue Nation in the state of Kentucky mean to you as a lifelong Kentucky fan and as a lifelong, let's just call it a Kentucky? Well, let, 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 let me say this. And first of all, I, I, I do consider myself a Kentucky but, but here's the deal. And I didn't understand this growing up. Uh, there were a lot of people like my folks who grew up in eastern Kentucky. For people that are familiar with it, my mom grew up in Owsley County, which, uh, which per capita is typically one of the top five poorest counties in the nation. My dad grew up in Hazard, and my grandfather worked in the mine up there in Hyden and Tim Couch's hometown, and he ran a boarding house in Hazard, and he and one of his buddies ran some moonshine, too. <laughs> so, uh, and there are a lot of people from Appalachia like that, that in the mid to late 50s and early 60s moved up to southwest Ohio, when coal took a dip and they got jobs in the factories, whether it would be a steel mill, paper mill, whatever it was. My dad and I, I worked in a paper mill to pay for my college. And and I couldn't understand. When I was growing up, I graduated high school in 1978. There's some really good programs up there now. I mean, Ohio State was good. Cincinnati was very good. Dayton was making it consistently to the NCAA tournament. Uh, Miami of Ohio had a great program that consistently won the MAC. Daryl Hedrick, the legendary coach there, who's still scouting for the Cleveland Cavaliers, graduated high school with my mom. Uh, I had the good fortune to know him. But it, it's a huge pocket between Cincinnati and Columbus of rabid UK fans. And that's because they moved up there to get jobs, but, but that affinity never left. And, and so an interesting story. So besides coming down with my parents to my grandparents in Kentucky, uh, I'll tell you a story about the first time I ever came to Kentucky myself. And so uh, my baseball coach, Doug Long, who's in the Ohio Hall of Fame, 
he played baseball at EKU, and he played with Larry uh, Conrad, uh, the coach at uh, at Bourbon County. He's going through a tough fight right now. Got some rough news, and so our prayers go out to him. But but they played together, and they were both very successful high school coaches. So they decided every year that they were going to have this series. And one year, the Bourbon County guys would come up there, and one year, we would come down to Bourbon County. And when we come to Bourbon County, we play a game on Friday, play about three on Saturday. It was an easy drive. Uh, they took us over to uh, Claiborne Farm in Paris, where I got my picture taken with Secretariat. But when I came down here, we, you know, they just kind of paired us up with players, and we would go stay with them at their home. So when I was here in the spring of 78, the player I got chosen to go home with was Tom Leach. Oh, wow. And, and Tom and I, that's when we first met, was when we were seniors in high school and have been blessed to be friends uh, ever since. Uh, but, but, but my point is, that's a long way around the block. But, I mean, for people in Kentucky, uh, in Appalachia, um, you know, they you know, there aren't pro teams. You know, there are pro soccer teams now, some minor league baseball, things like that. But but you see those uh, uh, you see those old uh, paintings of, of miners sitting around the old stove and putting coal in it and listening to Kaywood on the radio. And, and that absolutely was the case. And a lot of times there wasn't a lot of good news. And, and it's not to take anything away from Louisville or, you know, I went to school over Georgetown, so all those great programs in the state. Uh, but, I mean, this was the one thing. There, there, there were three things. I get. Everybody says pretty women fast horses, <laughs> but, it's, but, it, but, it, but it's bourbon, it's the Kentucky Derby and racing, and it's Kentucky basketball. Louisville's had some great years, too. But the vast majority of people, I mean, it's just the way of life. And to this day, to this day, I still get many more requests from Southwest Ohio for uh, tickets than I do from here. I was I was up back in my hometown just last Thursday, and I, I will go down forever as the worst recruiter in Kentucky basketball history because uh, I grew up with Luke Kennard's dad. We signed him to play at Georgetown. Uh, we lived right next to each other. I, I, I talked with Luke frequently. But at the time he was being recruited, Luke thought Duke was a better fit. And so his grandfather passed away last week. And he was the guy that started our little peewee league. And the entire service were stories about how much Dean Kennard loved UK basketball. And I told some people the story that we would go on the air 90 minutes before tip-off. So I would sit down and look to my left, under the basket to my left. And there would be Dean Kennard and his brother Doug, who had driven down from Ohio. Got there as soon as the doors opened. They would come down to the lower arena so that they could get a really good eyeball look at these guys warming up. And then when it came game time, they'd go back up to their seats. And I, I can't tell you the number of Kentucky fans there are like that all over uh, the world. We hear from people literally around the globe on the pregame show. And, and it is a source of incredible pride uh, for these folks. And I've just been blessed to be around a number of people like Tom and Kaywood and Ralph Hacker and, and my dear friend Oscar and so many other people who, who have come before me 
and I have just never forgotten. Yes, it's a game. Yes, I try to have people keep it in perspective and everything. Uh, but but the source of pride it is for so many. Uh, I, I've just never lost sight of that. And never will. Before we get into our final question, I've got to I've got to say this before we go any further. You talking about Kay Wood and Tom Leach and those guys gave me chills because my dad's from Louisville and you know everybody knows that. I'm from Memphis, okay? Growing up, and, and still do, growing up, we tune into you guys on iHeartRadio before every game. Every game, we listen to you guys. We First, we listen to Matt Jones at KSR, but then we listen to you guys an hour and a half before tip-off. And you guys, Oscar Combs, yourself, Tom Leach, are the very reason why this podcast and the website exists is because I looked up to you guys and hearing those stories, I know my dad and grandfather and family friends will love to hear them, but for myself, it's been such a pleasure just to hear those names and, and to know that I'm talking to a guy that carved my love for Kentucky basketball. You know, you guys told the stories, and as a kid from Memphis, Tennessee, who loved the Wildcats, memorized every stat, looked up to all the players, you guys told the story and painted the picture for guys like myself and many others across the Big Blue Nation, across the world, more or less. Well, you're, you're very kind. I have just, uh, I've made so many great friendships. And, and, and like I said, I've just always, uh, I, I've never taken it for granted. And every game that I get to do is just, uh, it, it's, it's an absolute thrill. Uh, and, and, and to work with, with people like that, there, there are so many uh, incredible stories to tell, uh, and uh, they, they were not only incredible professionals, but they were just incredible people, and uh, just just the blessing I've had uh, to be around them and continue to do it. I don't, I don't know what the exact number is. I think it's probably 35 or 36 this uh this April 29th will be my 40th anniversary at WKYT. Uh, and for the folks there who have allowed me to do uh, this, this, this UK stuff as well uh, as SEC stuff. And even though I don't, I don't travel as much uh, anymore, uh, I still do a lot of events. I mean, I, my, my day job is I'm on the air in our 6.30 show every night that has needed when we have news and things like that break. And then uh, I'm actually in advertising, and the reason I'm in advertising again, it goes back to radio. And you mentioned the fact that you listen now on iHeart. Well, I mean, back in the day, people didn't have iHeart, and I can't tell you the number of people that I know personally that would get in their car, wherever they are, and drive to a high spot so they could hear the UK games on 50,000 watt 840 WHAS. I remember one night clearly. When I first started doing those JT games, I missed a UK basketball scrimmage or something like that. And I remember landing in Gainesville, Florida, and it was dark. And I punched the button, HAS, and I could hear the game just as clear as a bell. And so there were people that went to that effort for years. Uh, there are uh, I, I grew up on uh, I grew up on radio. Uh, I remember. Uh, Al Michaels, when he was briefly the Reds play-by-play guy, but uh, 
Marty Brenneman was just, he and Nuxall were just off the chains, incredibly good. I remember uh, when I was 10 years old, uh, the Bengals first came into existence as a franchise. And the TV play-by-play guy there was a fellow named Phil Sam, who was also the radio play-by-play guy for 20, 30 years. Incredible what he did because he was colorblind. And it's, it's just like coaches. You know, you try to pick up something from everybody. And you see how people prepare. And, and I have just, uh, you know, besides the UK stuff, and I, and I don't mean to, you know, ramble or anything, but, you know, people like Tom Hammond and Larry Tom and, and people like that that have championed me, Timmy Brando and people like that. We were on the air when the tornado hit hit the Georgia Dome. Uh, I was blessed to be, not from a Kentucky standpoint, from a broadcasting standpoint, on the field when uh, the Bluegrass Miracle happened and somebody posted something about that uh, just last week from the football game. Uh, but, but you know, people, it, it's it's a way of life for them. And, I, you know, things change. But like I said, so, so the guy that was the play-by-play guy for our local radio station, his name's Dan Humphrey, WTFD Radio in Middletown, Ohio. And, and to give you an idea of the connection between Appalachia and my part of the world, Middletown is the next city over. And I know a lot of your listeners have either seen the movie or read the book called Hillbilly Elegy uh, <laughs> by J.D. Vance, talking about people that moved to southwestern Ohio from Kentucky. And his town was the next next town over. So it was, it was a carbon copy of each other. But Dan was the play-by-play guy, so when he came in to sell ads, everybody knew who he was. And Ralph Hacker kind of taught me that as well, and it's opened a lot of doors for me. But but between the SEC network and SEC, I, I still probably do, in addition to my two regular jobs, I still probably do 60, 70 events a year. I do 40 UK pregame shows, and for the SEC Network Plus, which everybody has on campus now, I do all the UK men's and women's soccer games. And, and I do the softball games as well because I love Rachel. But I, I'm, I'm just really, really blessed to be able to do all this stuff. And it's a, I, I know what the Big Blue Nation is, but I know what these teams mean to so many people. Last question I have for you, and this is, this is going to be a fun one because I've had a lot of people tweet me and text me about this. But just quickly talk about JP Sports because as a Southeasterner, there was nothing more exciting than waking up at 10 o'clock, 10.30. You could skip college game day. But waking up for that 11 a.m., 12 o'clock game, and it could be Vanderbilt playing Mississippi State or Vanderbilt playing Alabama. And you would tune that in because that would get you excited for the rest of the day. Talk about those broadcasts. And as a Southerner, what that JP Sports meant to you as well? Well, let, let, let me say this. Uh, and I don't want to get too long-winded on this, but, but and, and I'm proudly going to say this. You know, there's a place, obviously, for cable television. But sometimes cable television gets kind of diluted, like AM or FM radio, right? Okay, and so, you know, how many channels do you have on your cable? What, 600? So, you know, I, I'm not saying there aren't viewers there, but, you know, growing up in Memphis, you've got, what, four commercial broadcast stations, right? Yeah. 
and and the numbers on those commercial broadcast stations for evening newscasts and everything, the games that are on CBS, even though that goes away next year, the numbers for broadcast televised games and events are always bigger than they are for cable. Not because cable doesn't do a great job, it's just because it's more diluted. So that's what I referred to earlier when ESPN is now going to start moving more games to ABC. So it was a very valuable product for us uh, on broadcast television. Uh, WKYT is now part of Gray Television, which we're all over the country, but we're proud to be based in the South down in Atlanta. We've now got, I want to say it's 135, 140 stations, and we're the second largest broadcast group in the country. But primarily we're in places like Lexington and Tallahassee and Madison, Wisconsin and Phoenix and Cleveland and places like that. We've gotten bigger. But but you can find a spot where there's a major college team in a town, and we're in that market. So the way the SEC contract worked at that time, before the SEC network came along, where there were three broadcast partners. There was CBS, there was ABC ESPN, and there was Jefferson Pilot. And... You know, there was no SEC alternate channel. So CBS always got the first pick. ESPN would typically get the second pick. And then we would get the third game. And when Roy Kramer was commissioner and our guys cut this deal, Jimmy Rayburn and the folks, he said, now you guys aren't ever going to get like the Georgia-Auburn game or anything like that. Well, by golly, at the end, we did get the Georgia-Auburn game. And we had some great games. But because the CBS game of the week was on at 3.30, and because broadcast television still had their primetime lineup at 8, and they had their what's called early fringe, which everybody, you see, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, which makes big money for local stations like ours. So we couldn't do a night game. So the noon window was the game. And everybody who was a visiting team loved us. They loved that game. Because the hardest thing for a team to do in any sport is to go stay in a hotel and then stay there all day waiting for a night game. You see road teams traditionally in a 9 o'clock road football game or a 9 o'clock Tuesday night SEC basketball game, traditionally, they don't play nearly as well as the home team. So the road teams loved us. The home teams hate us. Not the home teams, but the home teams fans. I mean, you, you know, you're talking about Alabama, Florida, places like that, and August, September, and October, it is like a blooming up. Plus, if everybody was out participating the night before, I mean, I can tell you one of the darndest things I ever saw since you're there in Memphis. We did a game. I want to say it was Ole Miss and Auburn in Oxford the day after Halloween. And I mean that Friday night. The square was packed. You could not move. And everybody was in costume. And, it, and it's like that old movie line, what a great country. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're trying to work, but it is just such a great scene. And then people are just literally staggering in the next morning. And I remember talking to Senator Tommy Tuberville out there at, uh, at midfield. And I said, what did you do last night? So I drove into Memphis and had dinner with Jimmy Sexton at Rendezvous. And I said, what the heck? Did you want everybody to see you? He said, that was the idea. <laughs> so Tommy knew how to play the game. But we would do a game like that, and it would be a 1,000 degrees. The one I remember most of all 
was I was telling people this the other day because, you know, listen, I don't mind saying I'm an old fat guy, but that's okay. But I mean, <laughs> I've always been I've always been a big sweater. So we're getting ready to go on the air. We were getting ready to go on the air with a pregame show uh, for Ole Miss and Florida at the Swamp. Pregame show was from 11:30 to 12. Kickoff is. I mean, literally, the moment I came on, it rained like it was coming out of a fire hose. And I was soaked from head to toe. So we get to our first commercial break, and I change shirts for the first time. And so we get through the pregame show. And as soon as I do my first hit after the coin toss for the game, it pours again. And so I go through my second shirt change. And I would, at the beginning of the season, I would put all this clothing on our production truck so I didn't have to bring it on a plane every week. So I changed shirts again at halftime because the sun had come out. It was 1,050 degrees. And then I had to change again at the end of the third quarter. And that was the infamous Tim Tebow game. Where he came in and did the news conference afterwards. Nobody will work harder. Da-da-da-da. The game that Ole Miss won. I remember Houston Nuts' wife came over out of the stands, onto the field, and darn near got arrested. But they've got that plaque out at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium of what Tebow said at the news conference. It's like, like the Gettysburg Address, like 4050 worth. <laughs> the Gettysburg Address was 274. Nobody will play harder. Nobody will work harder. And I promise we'll never be like this again. And he walked out, and they went on and won a national championship. But, you know, we've got a lot of memories of games like that. People were never anything but incredibly kind to us. And I still have people tweet at me, still have fans that, that, that say things. Something will pop up on social media. Somebody sent me a packet of stickers from Louisiana not too long ago that they had made up that said, I still miss the three days. And it's just, uh, you know, we were, we were just very humbled to have played a small part in this great he is Buzz Baker, a legend amongst a- anybody in the media world. Thank you so much for coming on the Mitch Davis Show. I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Mitch, it was great to be with you. Thank you so much for your interest. And I, I know you've got siblings there in Lexington. So anytime you're ever in, just give us a call. We'd love to see you. You have been listening to the Mitch Davis Show. I've been your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the MitchDavisShow.com, podcast host of the Mitch Davis Show. You can follow me on Twitter, MitchDavis underscore eight. Instagram by typing in the Mitch Davis Show, same as the podcast. Simply type in the Mitch Davis Show wherever you like to listen to your podcast. And a very, very special thank you to Buzz Baker for coming on the podcast today. It was an absolute honor to chat with him about all things Kentucky athletics and a little reminiscing down memory lane about Jefferson Pilot Sports. And until next time, folks, enjoy yourselves Get as we get closer and closer to kicking off the 2021 college football season.